Avinu Malkenu, our Father and our King, we thank you for your presence this morning. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your joy for this season of Hanukkah. And we pray that your word would go forth to encourage those who hear it, O oh God, that um, you would speak to each one um, by your Ruach exactly what you would have for them, Lord, that, that they would know that you are the living God and that you love them. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Well, happy Hanukkah, everyone. Yeah, ha- happy. So I have a little bit of uh, Hanukkah trivia in anticipation of, uh, of tonight's New Year's Hanukkah bash. Does that sound all right to you? All right, so here's, here's some, uh, here, here it goes. So the first question, this is really hard. How many nights do we celebrate Hanukkah? Eight. Point, one point for you. Sorry, sorry, it's eight. All right, well, that, that was pretty easy, right? All right, the second question is a little bit harder. <clears throat> How do you spell Hanukkah? Yeah? How many N's? What do you think? One N? How many K's? Is it, do, you, do you do C-H or just H? You like the C-H? Well, I will tell you the definitive answer confirmed by multiple rabbinic sources. Are you ready for this? Chet, Nun, Vav, Kaf, Hey. That is how you spell it. No? All right. That was, that was kind of a tricky one. I'll give you one more. This is an easier one to finish it off. Why do we celebrate Hanukkah for eight nights? No? Not presents. <laughs> That's how long the oil lasted, right? Well... Turns out that the real answer is not so simple as all of that. It's actually not based on the legend of the oil. So to answer that last trivia question, today we're going to look at some lessons from the Hanukkah story. And according to tradition, I have three lessons. So see if you can pick them up on the way. I'm not going to tell you what they are right now, but we're going to pick them up as we go through. Amen? So the events that we commemorate during the festival of Hanukkah, they occurred around 132 BCE. So this is between when the Tanakh was written and when the New Covenant was written. It's uh, intertestamental. Uh, These events are recorded in the books of uh, 1st and 2nd Maccabees, which are not considered biblical canon, but they have uh, historic value and rabbinic value. So they're not inspired, but they are historic texts. And that's where we get the, uh, the, the information about the story of Hanukkah. So let's take a look at the text for the answer to our question. Now, to bring us all up to speed, let's recall what happened in Hanukkah briefly. All right, so the Greeks... The Greeks have taken over the land of Israel and imposed Greek culture and modes of worship on the Jews. Um, And the holy temple sacrifices and the worship are stopped, and they give way to participation in uh, wrestling arenas and sacrifices to Hercules and Zeus and other Greek gods. And many of the Jews were actually persuaded to abandon Torah. They were drawn in by this Greek culture. And then uh, there was an even worse uh, 
Greek ruler who emerged. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes, who gave himself that title, basically equating himself with God. All right? Uh, Then the holy temple, which, remember, that is the center of God's presence. It was ransacked. Antiochus took all of the holy things out for himself. All right, so to give you an idea of this situation, we're going to look at 2 Maccabees 6, verses 1 through 7. And this is what it says. Not long after this, the king, who is Antiochus, sent an Athenian senator to compel the Jews to forsake the laws of their fathers and to cease to live by the laws of God, cease to live by the Torah, and also to pollute the temple in Jerusalem and call it the Temple of Olympian Zeus, and to call the one in Gerizim the Temple of Zeus, the friend of strangers, as did the people who dwelt in that place. Harsh and utterly grievous was the onslaught of evil, for the temple was filled with debauchery and reveling by the Gentiles, who dallied with harlots and had intercourse with women within the sacred precincts, and besides brought in things for sacrifice that were unfit. The altar was covered with abominable offerings, which were forbidden by the laws. A man could neither keep the Sabbath nor observe the feasts of his fathers. Remember that. That's important. Nor so much as confess himself to be a Jew. On the monthly celebration of the king's birthday, the Jews were taken under bitter constraint to partake of the sacrifices. And when the feast of Dionysus came, that's another Greek god, they were compelled to walk in the procession in honor of Dionysus, wearing wreaths of ivy. So this is a a bad situation, wouldn't you say? All right? And then arose a reformer whose story reminds me of the narrative of of the book of Judges. All right? And if we think back to the book of Judges, what's the pattern there? Well, it starts off with Israel straying toward idolatry. And, uh, and then other nations would kind of take over as discipline from God. So they would be conquered by other nations. Uh, the author of 2 Maccabees invokes this same idea um, after the description of these terrible things happening to the Jews and in the temple. And this is what it says. Now I urge those who read this book not to be depressed. Tell someone, don't be depressed by such calamities, but to recognize that these punishments were designed not to destroy, but to discipline our people. Not to destroy, but to discipline. So let's remember that the Lord's discipline is his love, and that when difficulties come upon us because of our sin, he uses that, actually, to deliver us, to have mercy on us, to draw us closer to him. So what was the pattern in the time of judges? The people would cry out for help at this point, right, because they're oppressed, and they would repent, and then a deliverer would rise up, such as Deborah or Gideon, right? And they would overthrow their oppressors, and they would bring spiritual reform for a few years. And they would return to the Torah, and then they would kind of slip back into idolatry again, and they would be oppressed, and they would repent and cry out, and then a deliverer would rise up, and that was sort of the cycle in in the book of Judges, right? Does that make sense? So like the deliverers in the time of Judges, 
At this point in the, in the Hanukkah story, Judah Maccabee rose up to overthrow the Greek rule, but also to bring spiritual renewal. We must remember that when we go through difficulties, hardship, suffering, that often this is Hashem disciplining us, drawing us near to Him. Now, not all of our suffering is because of sin, but when it is, God uses it for our good. There was one time um, I was uh, teaching in Mississippi, and uh, I remember I had a, a really bad headache, and I was after school, and I was really tired, and I was feeling horrible and lying on my bed, and, uh, and I was just thinking, and I, and I was thinking about this student, and, uh, and I realized that I was angry at this student, um, and that I actually had unforgiveness in my heart. And, and then I thought, well, I can, I can repent of that. And as soon as I repented, the headache went away. It was like that. And that doesn't always happen that way, right? But in this case, that's the way the Lord did it. In other words, God was using a headache to teach me the consequences of unforgiveness and bringing deliverance when I repented. It doesn't mean that all of our sickness and troubles are due to sin because we live in a fallen world. But the Lord was showing me something by his discipline, allowing me to see that forgiveness and healing go together. He was teaching me something. Amen? So many of us have heard the scripture. This is uh, pretty famous from Romans 8.28. And if you know it, you can say it with me. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Do we trust that statement in our hearts? Do we carry that with us? When we recall the Hanukkah story, when God used the Greeks to bring us back from idolatry through Judah Maccabee, the deliverer, may recalling that story help us to trust Hashem through our headaches, through our difficulties. Now, returning to our story in 2 Maccabees, we come to the part where the festival of Hanukkah is mentioned, and the answer to our trivia question, why is Hanukkah celebrated for eight nights? Are you curious about this? This is what it says in 2 Maccabees 10, verses 1 through 9. Now, Maccabeus and his followers, the Lord leading them on, recovered the temple and the city. They tore down the altars which had been built in the public square by the foreigners and also destroyed the sacred precincts. They purified the sanctuary and made another altar of sacrifice. Then striking fire out of flint, they offered sacrifices after a lapse of two years. So there was two years where the temple was not used. And they burned incense and lighted lamps and let out the bread of the presence. And when they had done this, they fell prostrate and besought the Lord that he might never again fall into such misfortunes, but that if they should ever sin, they might be disciplined by him with forbearance and not to be handed over to blasphemous and barbarous nations. It happened on that same day on which the sanctuary had been profaned by the foreigners, the purification of the sanctuary took place, that is, on the 25th of the same month, which was Kislev, right? 
beginning of Hanukkah, and they celebrated it for eight days with rejoicing in the manner of the feast of booths, that is, Sukkot, remembering how not long before, during the feast of booths, during the feast of Sukkot, they had been wandering in the mountains and caves like wild animals. Therefore, bearing ivy-wreathed wands and beautiful branches, these are the symbols that we used for Sukkot, you remember, and also fronds of palm, they offered hymns of thanksgiving to him who had given success to the purifying of his own holy place. They decreed by public ordinance and vote that the whole nation of the Jews should observe these days every year. Such then was the end of Antiochus, who was called Epiphanes. Now, Sukkot was one of the pilgrimage festivals. That meant that all the Jews were supposed to come to the temple in Jerusalem during that time. However, during the feast of Sukkot, which we remember, that was, it's one of the fall holidays. It's in Tishrei, right? At that point, they were hiding in caves, and the temple was desecrated. So the feast, it would have been impossible to celebrate. But why were they in this situation? Because of their own turning away from Torah and because of the oppression of the Greek rulers. But nevertheless, they celebrated Sukkot just a little bit later. When did they celebrate? The 25th of Kislev. So why is Hanukkah really for eight days? Because Sukkot is for eight days. It was a makeup for Sukkot. The main lesson here is that it's never too late to do the right thing. The temple was unused and in horrible condition for over two years, but when the time came for rededication, that's what Hanukkah means, they were able to make up for this missing feast. Some of it was due to their own sin, some of it was due to problems beyond their control, but either way, they were able to have a Sukkot do-over. Have you made a commitment to God? that you haven't been able to maintain. Hanukkah is the feast of dedication and rededication. You can rededicate yourself to that commitment. Making a change in your personal life is hard, and it usually takes more than one attempt. Proverbs 24, 16 says, For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. Turn to somebody and say, It's never too late to do the right thing. Turn to somebody else and say, though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. Amen. Disciples of Yeshua, they have that resurrection power. Amen. They rise again. So the entire festival of Hanukkah is saying, hey, you remember that time when we weren't able to celebrate Sukkot? because of our own idolatry, and because of those evil Greek rulers. You remember that? Well, we're going to commemorate our late Sukkot celebration every Hanukkah, every year, because God brought forth divine mercy. That was the decision they made, to remember that. So we have seen two lessons so far. Number one, God's discipline is really his love drawing us closer. And number two, It's never too late to do the right thing. So what can we learn from the mention of Hanukkah in the New Covenant scriptures? 
Let's take a look at John 10, verses 22 through 30. Then came Hanukkah in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Yeshua was walking around inside the temple area in Solomon's colonnade. So the Judeans surrounded him and said to him, How much longer are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us publicly. Yeshua answered them, I have already told you, and you don't trust me. The works I do in my Father's name testify on my behalf. But the reason you don't trust is that you are not included among my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I recognize them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. They will absolutely never be destroyed, and no one will snatch them from my hands. My Father who gave them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them from my Father's hands. I and the Father are one. Now, we remember the Hanukkah story of the Maccabees. This had only happened about 150 years before this. And what was the pattern there? The same pattern as in the days of Judges, as we said. We already talked about that. Idolatry, foreign, foreign rule, repentance, deliverer, peace. And then back to the beginning. Idolatry, foreign rule, repentance, deliverer, peace. My sense is that Yeshua is coming to break the cycle. Because he is a different kind of deliverer than Gideon or Judah Maccabee. A different kind of savior. And that is what the Judean listeners are grappling with in this text. That's why they get so upset. Right after this, it says that they took up stones to stone him. So Yeshua is either speaking blasphemy, making himself equal to God, or else he is the Messiah, the anointed one, the divine representative of Hashem. But notice he's not boasting of his divinity as Antiochus Epiphany did, but he's humbling himself, referring his accusers to the miracles. Look at, look at the works that I do that are from the Father. That is what testifies that he, Yeshua, is the Messiah. He's correcting their ideas of who the Messiah is and what the Messiah should do because they've been looking for a Messiah. They're looking for a Gideon or a Judah Maccabee, and they thought, "Mm, maybe this Gideon is the Messiah. Maybe this Judah Maccabee is the Messiah. These earlier deliverers, they were shadows. They were types of the Messiah. They were designed by God to point to Yeshua because they brought political freedom and achieved a certain level of spiritual reform and return to the Torah. But Yeshua has not come to free Israel from Roman rule, as so many thought, but to free them from sin, to be the good shepherd to lay down his life so that we might have eternal life, as he says in John 10. Yeshua completes and fulfills the Hanukkah story as he completes and fulfills all the festivals and all the narratives of Israel. And he does this by breaking the cycle. So the third lesson of Hanukkah is that in light of Yeshua, the cycle of sin and idolatry can be broken and we can have new 
life. Hallelujah. It is faith, faith in Yeshua's life, death, and resurrection that brings the Hanukkah story and our stories to fulfillment. Today we have talked about lessons from the Hanukkah story, and there were three. I kept it traditional. Number one, God disciplines those that he loves. Number two, it's never too late to do the right thing. And number three, Yeshua breaks the cycle of sin. And let's pray. Avinu, we thank you for this season, the season of miracles, the season of light. And thank you that Yeshua is our light. And we thank you that you love us and that you have put these stories um, in, our, in our tradition and in our hearts to teach us, to draw us close to you, Lord. We pray that this new year would be a, a year of renewal, rededication, Lord, that you would enable us to break those cycles of sin um, in, in the power of Yeshua, in his, in his name and in the power that comes with it, the resurrection power that we have as his followers, Lord. And when we stumble, Lord, give us the strength and the gumption to get back up seven times, as it says, Lord, um, because we know that when you build a vision, sometimes there is, uh, there's, there are some obstacles, Lord, but you, what you start, Lord, you always finish and bring to completion, especially in Yeshua the Messiah, because he is the ultimate deliverer. He is the ultimate Gideon, Lord. He's the ultimate Judah Maccabee, because he always lives to intercede for us when we call on his name. And in his name we pray. Amen.